You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. We are in Matthew chapter 28. If you recall or if you're visiting us for the first time, we have done sort of what's, what's called the, the Puritans of old. I, I love to read the Puritans. And, and they would take one verse and they could write a 200-page book on just one verse. They could just squeeze it for all of the richness that's found in the Word of God in one verse. And we've sort of approached Matthew chapter 28, the end of 28, the Great Commission passages, verses 16 through 20, in that way, where we've just sort of squeezed it and said, Lord, what good do you have for us, have for us here? And so we're continuing to do that today. We've seen in the last few weeks, in the Great Commission, first we saw this a few weeks ago, that the very heart of missions is worship. The very heart of missions is worship, that out of our loving and treasuring Jesus, our, our hearts are ignited with a passion to enter into the Great Commission, to worship Jesus. So missions begins and is inflamed by worship. We saw that a few weeks ago. Then we saw how often as we go that we are not these super saints. The truth is we're weak. We're, we are needy little saints. We are little broken, easily cracked clay pots filled with a priceless treasure, right? And so we saw how we are doubting disciples and cannot fulfill this great commission on our own. But in the power and presence of Jesus, we have a God who goes with us which is assuring and comforting to disciples who are prone to doubt and fear. And then last week, Pastor Rob showed us out of Hebrews, we took almost a little excursion into the the book of Hebrews, and we saw just the gospel, the gospel message that we proclaim both to the world that we take with us, and it's the message that we keep preaching to our hearts as we remember the finished work of Christ. It's what we've sung about, isn't it? We're remembering what Christ, who Christ is and what he's done. So Pastor Rob took us to the book of Hebrews last week to show us the gospel message we go with. And now, this week, we finally get to the go of the Great Commission. Isn't that sweet, though? Because normally, I think where we would start is that this would be a one-week thing, and it's all just about the go, right? But it's surrounded by the care and the power and presence of Jesus. We can't go on our own. So I hope you have been fed. My soul has been cared for these last few weeks just in these precious truths, precious saints. I hope, I, hope, I hope the same is true for you. So if you would look in your Bibles, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We're going to read the whole little passage here and then get, get going here. So listen to the, the word of the Lord. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, may you pierce our hearts. May you compel us. May you correct us where we're needing correction, where we need to be reoriented. May you refocus us. But Lord, may you do it in a way that builds your people. Lord, you are so good of the way you can correct and yet not crush. The way you can compel, Lord, in such a way that is loving and tender, but yet firm and courageous and bold. Lord Jesus, may you do that work in weak vessels today. Lord, I confess I am a weak vessel. Weak and lowly. Lord, Lord, be exalted in a church of weak vessels. Easily cracked clay pots that the priceless treasure would easily spill out. Be exalted, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus gives four action words that act as four commands in this passage. If you're big on words, like four verbs, four verbs, four action words, four commands in this passage. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. So if you combine all of those together, it creates this picture of making and maturing disciples. That's the, that's the picture of the Great Commission, to make and mature disciples. Today, we're going to look at the first three of those commands, to go, make disciples of all nations, and baptizing them. And then the next week, next week, Pastor Rob will focus on the teaching command of the Great Commission, the making and maturing of disciples. So first command of the Great Commission is the command to go. The command to go, beginning in verse 19, Jesus turns to his disciples and he tells them in verse 19, go. But notice what's right next to the go command. He says, go, therefore. So, so the go is connected to what he said in the verse right before this, in verse 18. And if you remember, the disciples meet Jesus on the mountain, they worship him, but then we're told some have these doubting hearts. And in verse 18, Jesus tells them some incredibly assuring words. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. We talked a, a few weeks ago about how these words of Jesus for doubting disciples, are incredibly assuring and comforting words that there is no place we can go that he is not reigning or ruling. And where there are fears or doubts that would seek to overcome our hearts, in these words of verse 18, our hearts are assured that there is one mighty in majesty who is with us. But... These words are not just assuring and comforting. They are, but they're not merely assuring and comforting. These words of verse 18 are confronting and compelling. 
the verse 18, the declaration of Jesus that all authority belongs to Him are confronting and compelling. It confronts us with who has the authority, not merely over the circumstances we find ourselves in, not merely over the waves and the prison bars, but who exactly reigns and rules over our lives. We are so often tempted to think, I reign and rule over my life, aren't we? And we, we may not say that with our words, but how often do our lives reflect that way of thinking? That's often the case for Christians. We may not say something like that. We would never say that. But often our life, our living, reflects something like that. That's where we have to be on guard. That's the slippery slope. Often, we are tempted to think, I reign or live like I reign and rule over my life, that I get to decide what is the, that that I exist for and what do I do with my day and my time and my resources. But the reality is, precious saints, if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, then he is the leader of my life. He is the one in charge, and he is the one who gets to decide. To put it even more simply, I love this. He gets to call the shots, right? He's the one in charge. I don't have to try to come up with an aim or purpose for my life. Or why do I exist? Or what do I do with my life today? Because, because I'm not the one to make that decision in the first place. Jesus is. It's interesting because I, I've noticed that when I look back at my life, when I have struggled with these temptations of feeling aimless, like what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? Where, especially when I was younger. Where am I headed? What's the aim of my life? Why do I exist? What's the purpose? What do I do with my day today or my life or my energy or my time or my resources? And here's what I've noticed, that in those moments when I have struggled with that, as I look back, I was forgetting that there is one greater than me who reigns and rules over my life with all authority, who has already decided what my life is for. He has already declared what my life is for. Go. Go in the Great Commission. There is no greater purpose, no greater reason to exist, no greater aim of life, no greater joy to be found than to go and live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim the fame of Jesus for the joy of all people. There is no greater purpose, no greater reason to exist, no greater aim of life, no greater joy to be found. Going in the Great Commission coupled with this purpose, is that it isn't passive either. It's not something that we can just sit back and think it will happen, that I will just do somehow in my life, that it will just come about. 
That's not how the Great Commission works. That's not how the command of going works. That maybe, maybe people would just come to me and I will fulfill the great call of Christ to go. We must resist the temptation that we so often experience to be turned in on ourselves and be compelled to move towards others that they may know Christ. Whether it's crossing the hallway of our home and going to a family member, whether it's crossing the street in our neighborhood to go to a neighbor, or crossing borders and going to other nations, we are called to actively, purposely, passionately, and obediently go. So the question we're confronted with is this, at the very beginning with that first command. Here's the question we're confronted with. Do I live with an awareness of the authoritative call of Christ to go? Do I see that Jesus has the authority over my life and he tells me go in the Great Commission? And is that a part of who I, what I exist for? Do I see that? Do I realize that? If I can use this illustration that we used for our children's time earlier, am I submitting to Christ's command as the authoritative leader of my life and going right away, all the way, and happily? Or am I being lulled to sleep with the daily tasks and treasures and comforts of life? There are tasks to do. There's jobs to be worked. There's hardships, there's all sorts of things, there's worries, trouble, and then there are earthly treasures, there are comforts. If we're not careful, it's almost as if the Christian who has this great authoritative leader who says, go in the Great Commission, we can almost be lulled to sleep. Does my to-do list include going to make Jesus know? Does my to-do list include going to make Jesus know? Is that even on my radar? Hudson Taylor, who was a, a missionary to China, I love to read about missionaries, how the Lord worked in them and used them to go, just weak vessels experiencing so much difficulty, but yet going Listen to what he says. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. He sums up in one sentence what I've just said in five minutes. <laughs> the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Am I living with that awareness? When I'm wrestling with what to do with my day, what do I do today? I just got all this time. In my, is even on your radar that Christ has called me to go in his great commission? Is that a part of my day? Is that a part of who I am and what I exist for? My motivations for life today. When I go to the grocery store, it's not merely to pick up groceries. It is to pick up groceries. But there is a great call that looms over the Christian's life. The Great Commission call to go. Remember that when you're, you're ordering food, precious saints, and the waiter gets your order wrong. 
It's not merely there to get your order and eat, to feed the belly. There is a great commission call that looms over your life that is not waiting outside the building. So with hearts filled with worship, assured and comforted and compelled by the power and presence of Jesus, we are called to go. And as we go, Jesus gives us a very specific aim to our going. We are to go and make disciples of all nations. That's the second command we see, the command to make disciples of all nations. Many people translate the going of the Christian in the Great Commission as going and, good, and doing good works. We should do good works. We should do good works. James 2 says faith without works is dead faith, right? It's dead faith. Ephesians 2 says that in being brought from being spiritually dead to now having life in Christ, we are his workmanship created for good works. So good works is absolutely a part of the Christian life. We are to live a life filled with good works, but often what you see are well-intended Christians. They will go to poverty-stricken places in the name of the Great Commission, do some good works, and leave. And they feel good about themselves. All the while, people are still spiritually dead. Helpless and harassed, sheep without a shepherd. We give them a glass of cold water, yet fail to tell them there is an unquenchable spiritual thirst that can only be satisfied in the living water of Christ. The aim of a life of good works is not merely to make me feel good. I think that's often what we're tempted to, to do or see. It's a lot of what we see in kind of the greater evangelicalism. We kind of do these good works that makes us feel good. It's not merely meant to do that. But good works are these things that Christians do so that people would be disarmed by the otherworldly and startling sacrificial love of Christ visible through the Christian in the midst of a horrendously wicked and selfish world and ultimately, ultimately come to partake in the true and everlasting joy of knowing Christ as his disciples. It's the end game. It's the end game for good works. Precious saints, I, I am for good works. They are a visible expression of true faith and love in Christ. If I try to proclaim the sacrificial love of Christ, yet my own character and life are selfish and unkind, it doesn't match. It will be a hindrance to the Great Commission. So we should love to do good. I love the surprised look on my neighbor's face when I offer to cut their grass, and they don't even know where that's coming from. That's otherworldly to them. Like, why would you do that? I would never want to cut your grass. I love that. But I fall short of the Great Commission <laughs> if I fail to see that the dominant command of the Great Commission to go is actually to make disciples. If I keep cutting my neighbor's grass over and over and over again on their way to hell. I've I fall short of the Great Commission. 
I fail to include the call to make disciples as a part of the good works. We are to be disciple-making disciples. It's the aim of our going. I've heard that. I don't know who originated that idea, but I love it. We are to be disciple-making disciples. A disciple is literally to be a learner, someone who is obediently submitting their life to follow someone else, trusting in them as their leader and taking on their way of thinking and living. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, it means your life is obediently submitted to following Jesus. Not just trusting in Him merely as a teacher, but believing and trusting Him as Savior and Lord. Abiding in Him as your very source of life. Loving Jesus. Learning from Jesus. And so thinking and living like Jesus. And according to Matthew 28, a disciple is joining Jesus in His mission of making more disciples. So if Jesus says go and make disciples, how do disciples make disciples? How do self-seeking, sin-loving, rebellious people who don't want anything to do with Jesus come to obediently submit their lives to Jesus and believe Him as their Savior and Lord and love Him and then live so that others may know Him? How does that happen? What part do we have in the making of disciples out of rebels? We don't have the power to change someone's heart. We can't convince them by mere argument. We can't appeal to their needs enough when, when what must change is their heart. So what role, what role do we have in the making of disciples? The Word tells us. Romans 10. Listen to this, this outline. I, I, I love this. How then will they, so thinking of these people who are being made into disciples, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming? And how are they to proclaim unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus himself, through the power of the Spirit, must change hearts. He must do an inward work of regeneration that brings what is spiritually dead to life within a person and bring about faith to believe in Christ in a heart that loves and wants to follow Christ. But in an amazing way, Jesus has chosen to invite us, to invite us into that mission of making disciples by choosing to bring about His saving and regenerating work as we go and proclaim His gospel message to all people. How will they believe if they don't hear? It's interesting. We've said this several times. You've heard this in the past. This was a big thing in the past. You've got you, you, you to live the gospel. 
You can't, God, you know, don't just preach the gospel. You got to live it. Like people have to see it. And that's true. But it, it became this thing where it was like, it's only living that. And that became only doing good works. And there, there are communities of, of people who are still living in light of that. When the Bible doesn't say that, the Bible says, how will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear unless someone proclaims? And what are they proclaiming? The word of Christ, the gospel. And how will they hear and be proclaimed to if no one is sent, if no one goes? Faith is by hearing, through hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. We must tell, we must proclaim, we must say the gospel. There's no other way. As we go, as we go, Pastor Rob did an excellent job last Sunday of, of showing us what is the gospel. Just all service. It was rich. It was so wonderful. And I encourage you, if you missed that, go back and listen to that sermon. If I were to summarize it in quick form so I wouldn't have to re-preach his sermon, if I could summarize some of that, I kind of broke it up into three, three points. The big news, the bad news, and the good news. The big news, the bad news, and the good news. I'm a simple person. I know we have several visitors today. Just know I'm a simple, I'm a simple pastor. I don't, have, I don't have a lot of fancy things to offer you. The big news, as we go and tell people, the big news that there is a holy and glorious and mighty God who has created them to exist for His glory, to live for His praise and to worship Him. But the bad news is because of sin, we, we rebel against God and seek to exist for our own glory, to live for our own praise, and we don't worship Him as He deserves. In fact, we are slaves to sinful passions. We want to be set free from God's restraint. It's such a blind thing to say or to do. We think we're set free from, from God's restraining of us, but the reality is we are slaves to sin and our passions and Satan. Slaves. And we deserve the just punishment for our sin, which is death. But the good news is that in the undeserved goodness of God, He Himself has provided the way of salvation through faith in the obedient life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus. There is no other way to be rescued. There is no other way to be saved but through Him alone. The big news, the bad news, and the good news. So as we go and proclaim this gospel message of the saving work of Christ. It's as if the voice of the Lord, I love this, in John it talks about Jesus' voice is as the shepherd, and as he calls out his sheep, hear his voice. I just imagine their ears perking up. I picture these little sheep. We used to live in a place, a rural area, and these little sheep, I remember this one little baby sheep would just come. It would just get this little lamb would just come. You could call it, it would just come to you and it would stay at your legs. The sweetest thing. And that's, that's exactly what I picture. Jesus calling his sheep and it says that they hear his voice and they come and he knows them. As we go with the gospel message, the good news, the saving work of Christ, as it's proclaimed, 
what's happening is it's as if Christ's voice going forth, calling his sheep to come and know him. Precious saints, we don't have to try to invent a new way. That's the temptation. I, I, I see this all the time. Like, you see this. Like, there's always this. <laughs> you always see this say, like, oh, God's doing a new thing. God's doing. I just want him to do the ancient and wonderful thing he's been doing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to come up with a new thing. I just want him to do what he says he's been doing all the way back when he, his scriptures were presented to us. I want him to do that. And that is proclaim his good news message. We don't have to try to get creative with it. We can let the creator of all creation who gave us his message do his work as we proclaim his message. Precious saints, I can't tell you how many times going into the city or talking to someone in the city, that that is my hope, is that I don't have to try to appeal to this person on my, by myself, who I am. I'm a nobody. I'm a little weakling little guy that they don't even know. I need to give them Jesus, what Pastor Rob said today. His gospel message, that his voice would go out and that he would call his sheep forward. We are a young and little church. But as a church who's called to be a part of this great commission, we are, we are to do this work of disciple-making. And disciple-making is to consist of making disciples of all nations. Of every ethne is the word, of every people group. The mission of making disciples is both local and a global mission. We're a little church plant, and we were compelled to plant roots here in San Antonio and with hearts to see the gospel go forth. That's what compelled us. As we drove through the city, we saw on the north side, there were tons of churches. And we're driving and we're just praying, Lord, where do you want to send us? We're like these little silly rocks, but we're your rock. So throw us wherever you want us and hit whatever you want to hit with us, Lord. Use us. I told you, I'm filled with simple, foolish things. That's us though, Lord. Send us where you want us. And as we drove through the south side, we said, where did all the church buildings go? We're, all of a sudden, you don't see it happening. And then when you do come across one, it's, it's prosperity or it's, it's faith by works or something. So we said, that's where we need to go. That's where Christ needs to be proclaimed. That's where he wants to plant us. And so we came and by God's grace, he compelled and he's been planting. He has been planting and building and working in this body to plant us where we are, to exist. And some of us, we live on the north side, some live west side, south side, all over the place. But he has brought us here to exist for his great commission locally. So by God's grace, we want to keep looking for ways that we can balance out our gathering and growing with our going here in San Antonio. We say that all the time, gathering, growing, and going. That's what we're doing. We've got to balance that out, though. So often we can lean heavy on the gathering and the growing, and we forsake the, go the going. Or we can do the opposite. We can lean heavy on the going, all the while saints are shriveling up and not being cared for and loved and discipled and maturing and being built in Christ. But if we are to obey the call of Christ to make disciples and be a great commissioned church, 
We must be a church that is constantly moving between, this, has come, this, this word has come up in our fellowship group, I love this, between our holy huddle and breaking the huddle and advancing the gospel locally and globally. With our hearts filled with a passion to see the fame of Jesus fill the earth in every neighborhood and nation, whether we are sending people or sending resources, that Christ would receive the praise due His name, disciples would be made, and joyful worshipers gathered from every tribe, language, people, and nation. What an amazing mission we've been brought into, precious saints. So I'll just ask the question once again. Do you see or do you remember the call of Christ to go and make disciples? Precious saints, your children in your home, what a mission field. Don't forget the call to go in gospel mission in your very home, among family members, in the workplace, at the restaurant, at the, the HEB, at the park. Where we go, the call of Christ remains over us. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Now here's what I've seen too. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy life. We should be in Christ. We're glad people. And sometimes... I'll be honest, sometimes I've had conversations with some Christians and they are passionate about the gospel. But my goodness, it feels like they don't even like me. It feels like they would rather not even talk to me, actually. The love of Christ goes with us. The joy of Christ should go with us. And the message of Christ should go with us. May we not, may not, may we not neglect one for the other. Church, be praying how we can participate in the Great Commission. Oh my goodness, church. We, in one sense, here's, here's what I wrestle with as, as, a, as just an under-shepherd. I wrestle with this. I say, Lord, we are going. That's why we're here. There's mission at our doorstep. This is it. As we live life, our neighbors, I can tell you, we've encountered our neighbors and they're lost. They need to know Christ. So we're here. This is part of the mission, but... But the Lord's mission has always been global. And we can't forsake the other part, that it's a global mission. So how is the Lord calling us as a little church? I, I think of us as a church in Macedonia, where Paul says they didn't have much, these little churches, but they eagerly desired to participate. They eagerly wanted to participate in what Christ is doing, in caring for other churches, in going in gospel mission with other churches. So precious saints, and, and, and if you're visiting with us, please pray for us. If you never come back again, I don't, I don't know why. My hope is that you've been aware of Christ, His goodness, incredible grace for you. And my hope is that you would pray for us. Our city needs faithful gospel mission, especially on the south side. Our workplaces need faithful. Our city is known as Spiritlandia because of all the pagan worship that's done here. Precious saints, there's much ministry to be had here in our own city. 
But may we not forget there is a global mission we're called to be a part of. And so ask, how can we be a part of this? How can we participate? Is it on my daily to-do list? I'm a part of this gospel mission. How am I participating and going? I want you to hear this statistic. And it just blew me away. Because we live in a technological age and our society is drenched with church buildings. That I could just think, how could this be? But listen to this. According to the Joshua Project, Joshua Project is online. You can, anyone can go look it up. And they have numbers and statistics on people, people groups from all over the world. You can go and find any people group and learn how to pray for them, with statistics on them, all sorts of things. According to the Joshua Project, did you know that there are around 10,000 people groups? Some argue there's more. There are around 10,000 people groups in the entire world. So we are included in a people group. 10,000 of those people groups, nearly half, 4,400 are unreached with the gospel. Precious saints, consider that for a second. Consider that. Nearly half of the people groups in the whole world are unreached with the gospel. When I see that, I, it wakes me up out of my little comfort and says, oh my, what, am I, what are we doing? Oh my, look, there are so many who have not heard. Because I can tend to think, oh, the, the gospel's going forth. The gospel's going forth. No, church, look, it, the gospel needs to go forth. Here in a few weeks, I get to go to Nepal. Look at these statistics on Nepal. Can you pull that up, buddy? The number of people groups in Nepal, according to Joshua Project, 269. The number of unreached people groups in Nepal, 258. Nearly 96% of the country is unreached with the gospel. That is amazing. That little progress level that you see, it's all the way over to the red. That red marker, Joshua Project would put that in the category of unreached. They consider Nepal unreached. Because to be taken out of that category, there must be more than 5% professing faith. That means there are less than 5% of the country professing faith. The total population, 30 million, almost 30 and a half. Population unreached, 27 million people in one tiny little country in between India and China, unreached. Precious saints, when I, when I see that, I, it pierced me. And I want to be careful. This, I don't, this is not, they're not heaping guilt here, but may it confront us in a good way. Oh, it's confronting to my heart because I think I can get lulled to sleep. I go and get my Chick-fil-A, going home, listen to my, my praise music in my car. I forget there, there are literally 
millions of people, almost half of the world unreached with the gospel. The call to go is real, precious saints. And it strikes me as I was, this, this week as I was doing just my prayer time in the word, I read Proverbs 14, 28. It says, in a multitude of people, in a multitude of people is the glory of a king. But without people, a prince is ruined. And I thought, Lord, Lord, you deserve the multitude. You deserve the multitude of praise that you would receive all the glory due your name. I just prayed, Lord, give me a passion to see the multitude gathered that you would have your worship, that you would be exalted, that the joy of the nations would be had in Christ Jesus. Precious saints, pray that the Lord would do the same in all of our hearts. Lastly, in closing, the command to baptize. Jesus tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When people come to saving faith in Christ and are now disciples of Jesus, they are baptized. They are plunged into water, and brought out again. It's one of the first acts of obedience for a Christian to do, to be baptized. It is spiritually symbolic of their new faith in Christ, and and by faith the old has died with Christ, and they have been raised to new life in Christ, cleansed and ready to serve their Savior and King. We don't think about this, I don't think. There's this argument of when, when, you know, when should people be baptized. We don't think about this. You know, Christ calls us a kingdom of priests in the New Testament to serve Him, to praise Him and to serve Him. And what did you see? As, as the priests were going to serve, they would cleanse themselves before serving. It's this, it's this beautiful symbolic picture of life and death, but also entering into this this priesthood of the believer to serve the Lord with their very being, with their life, with who they are, their existence. I live to now serve the Lord. So it's a spiritually symbolic act, but it's also a very public act for everyone to see. That it, it identifies you as a disciple of Jesus and a member of his people. And in some places throughout the world, to be baptized as a follower of Jesus means persecution, public ridicule, jail, family disownment, and maybe even death. It's a public declaration that Christ really is your life. And in you is the hope of glory despite the possible cost of what could come here on this earth. 
that Jesus truly is my Savior and King and I live to love and serve Him and He really is worth my dying breath. This is what we call believer's baptism. If you are in this room and profess Christ as your Lord and Savior and have been baptized, precious saints, remember the declaration of your baptism that Christ is your life. He's not a part of your life. Christ is your life. And He is better than life itself. And He is worth my life. And as you ponder that declaration... Precious saints, may we go and live in such a way that affirms our baptism. If you are in this room and profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, but have not been baptized, it is your first act of obedience and of great importance for you to pursue being baptized. He's worth it. He's worth it if He's your life. We would love as a pastoral team, if that's you, to talk with you. To talk with you about what that means and what that looks like to be baptized. Church, be praying. As I prepare to go to Nepal, I'm going to keep talking about Nepal. We, we, I was talking to a pastor who's been there several times, and he said, he said there was a, this last time they went, they were going, and there were several who had, been, who had confessed faith in Christ and they were going to be baptized and there's all these rules that are in place in Nepal and so they're walking through the streets and this is this was a very edgy thing and police are watching and this the, the uh, villagers are watching and they're walking through the streets and the church is singing knowing what the cost could be knowing what the cost could be singing praise as they walk down the street to baptize and they get to the river and there are people, p- police and villagers standing on the bridge watching what's happening. In any moment they're knowing we could, we could, be, we could be arrested, we could be beaten, we could, who knows what's going to happen. And one after another, do you profess faith in Christ? You died with Christ and raised a new life. Whew. Raised up again. One after another. Precious saints, pray that the Lord would build his church across the nations and that he would use us to participate in this wonderful, glorious cause of the gospel. By grace, may we live with an awareness of the authoritative call of Christ to go and make disciples locally and globally as we live life in our city, as we encounter lost family members, as we head out to work this week, as moms have play dates on and on and on, as some of us prepare to go to Mexico. There's a group of us who may be going or a group of you who may be going to to participate in a medical missions trip to Mexico and and to, to do bilingual translation or Nepal or in our neighborhoods, both locally and globally. Church, may we go with hearts of worship, assured and comforted in the power and presence of Jesus, equipped with the gospel, and compelled by his great command to be disciple-making disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.